Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 88. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, some days we just need to know which way is up. We have so much going on or something in life has knocked us off balance and we need to reorient ourselves. While faith in Jesus Christ does not make us exempt to such situations, there is something to Jesus' words about himself that can give us that direction we're looking for. Even better, it can give us real hope in times when we need it most. Check it out. In this past week, Sarah's school has been celebrating Seussical Week, taking the fine literary works of one Dr. Seuss and playing it out in their clothing and their parties and their events of the day. And Wednesday happened to be Wacky Day. It was sort of open field on what you could do. Sarah decided she was going to wear her sweatshirt backwards, which means, of course, being a hoodie that when she puts the thing on, it's like she's a fencer and she's blindfolded by the hood. For whatever reason, she likes doing that, throwing blankets over her head and walking around blindfolded. Not too big a deal till she gets to the top of the stairs, in which case, you can see where this is going, I am about this close to actually sending her over the edge by shouting, get that hood off your face. Hadn't happened yet, thankfully. But sometimes it can feel like the world is putting a blindfold on us. Like we walk around and we don't know which way is up. Sometimes it's as simple as knowing what we need to do next in the day as we're just swarmed with a to-do list that goes crazy. Sometimes the scale is a little bit bigger. And lost is the only word we can use to describe it. We kind of get in a fog, and we just, at a base level, we just need to know which way is up. Well, over 300 years ago, from a physical sense at least, we developed the technology to help out with this very thing. The lighthouse, which in a sea of literal darkness would give sea captains a reference point. Something to know, proverbially speaking, which way was up. It would illuminate the dark spots, the danger zones, cliffs, choppy waters. And with the right charts, sea captains could actually even navigate their way with nothing but lighthouses. Each one would have a unique flash pattern. And they would know, okay, that's three flashes in four seconds. That means I must be at Sodus Point. So if I go up five nautical miles, I should have another one that's going to flash at this pattern. And they could work their way along just on that alone. For sailors, lighthouses were, and probably still are, uh, an incredible help. To non-sailors, it is incredible nostalgia. To me, I find two purposes to a lighthouse. Awesome pictures, gotta give Sodus Bay that, and an appreciation for stairwells that allow me to actually move my arms around. Because if you've ever tried to climb up a lighthouse, it's sort of like doing this all the way up the stairs, and you really, by the time you get up there, really lose sense of which way is up. But maritime inventions often aren't what we need to navigate life. We need something to help us navigate the kids that are going bonkers. 
we need something to help us navigate the awful meeting we're about to have with our boss. We need something to help us navigate what do we do with this news our doctor has just given us. Which way is up? The good news is, I got something for you. As we're hanging out in John's gospel, looking at what Jesus said about himself, he says in John 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, we got ourselves a contrast here. Something good to to note when it comes to reading the Bible, when we look at contrast, when one thing is being compared or contrasted to another. But light of the world can be a little poetic. It doesn't really help us out a whole lot. But when we have light, those who who are in the light never walk in darkness. That starts to give us something to work with because we have something to contrast, light and dark. And we're used to having contrasts like this, hot and cold, high and low, smart and not smart. So there's many different levels to this kind of contrast and to this passage, but I'm going to start at the most basic level here, and then we'll get into some of the things that are a little, little more of the meat behind this idea. I've talked to many non-Christians who say, you know what, I don't believe the whole Jesus is God part, but I will grant you this that Jesus was a good teacher. I'm like, all right, if you'll grant that, we'll go with that. Because even non-believers sometimes need a lighthouse in their life. right? They run into some of those situations we just mentioned. They need to know which way is up. How do we figure it out? What do we do? Well, perhaps there's a chance Jesus spoke about it or Jesus experienced it, right? Even one who's not familiar with the Bible can just type in tough medical decisions plus Jesus in Google and probably come up with what Jesus would have said. They can at least start there. I mean, if a person is willing to at least grant that Jesus was a good teacher, and he was that, and so much more, but like I said, we'll get into that, it makes sense to ask, what did this good teacher say? Now, does this mean... If we know what Jesus says, does that mean that the cliffs aren't going to be there in our lives or that we won't even crash into them? No. Is this something that just because we know what Jesus taught, that we'll be able to live it out all on our own? That we could just say, all right, Jesus, thanks for the advice. See you later. No. But if a person is willing at least to grant that Jesus was a good teacher, it makes sense to look at what he said. One doesn't even have to be a believer to follow that logic. But the good thing is, Jesus was so much more than just a good teacher. So let's take this contrast one level further. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay. So we have light and life kind of paired together. Darkness and death? I mean, it's a fair inference, at least. Not in a physical sense, because we all experience that. Believers, non-believers, we all experience physical death, but he's talking about spiritual death. The effect, the price of those times that we disobey. 
those times that we sin. As Paul says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's no price gouging going on here. This is the same cost for the believer and the unbeliever. The difference is who pays that cost. But when we sin, I'm going to take a bit of a, a tangent to explore this. When we sin, there is a part of who we are and how we're designed that's out of whack, that's off course, because we're created in God's image. And so there is a part of us that is meant to reflect who God is, what God's character is like. So hear that in light of what John says. John had so many awesome writings about this, this idea of light. Says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, we are walking in darkness. We lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So if we're walking in the light... If Jesus is the captain of our ship, not just the co-pilot, does that mean that the cliffs aren't there? That the dangers aren't there? No. Does it mean that the waters that we travel won't be choppy sometimes? No. Choppy water and, and high cliffs are an equal opportunity danger. But think about what does a lighthouse do? It illuminates those things. It shows us where they are. It gives us a reference. And God, through his Holy Spirit, gives us reference points, if you will, so that we can navigate those tough decisions or those tough situations that we end ourselves, in, end up ourselves into. So I'm going to take this idea of light and dark, and I'm going to take the analogy one step further into a very, very real-world example. The most dangerous toy in the world. A one-by-one one Lego. If you can't see it from the back of the room, you're proving my point. I guarantee you, even somebody with rabbit eyes in the dark, not going to be able to see this. Oh, but you can feel it. If you don't believe me, take off your shoe, step on it, and let's see if you can't make a sailor's mouth look like an altar boy. I bet I could even make Larry cry. Okay, maybe Pete. Larry's too tough for Lego. Now, in the dark, you cannot see these. And yet you step on them and they will make you scream. In the light, we just sweep them out of the way. We pick them up. We do anything but step on them. Because we have the light to show us what these things are. What this danger is. You know, not all the dangers that life throws at us are big, giant cliffs, right? Sometimes it's a little one-by-one Lego. It's the little things that, even though they seem insignificant, can get us into trouble. Maybe you want to bite your tongue on that comment to your spouse. Maybe you want to not drive by that bar that you loved to frequent for so many years. Hundred of those little things 
that, while not big, can end us up in trouble. And having the light of the world in our lives helps us, because God is incredible at caring about even these little things, helps us to see where those danger spots might be so that we can avoid them before we end up stepping on them and screaming an impressive list of four-letter words. But I want to take this even one level higher and start to give you some hope. Because one of the things that was so amazing when we moved out here, and we just saw it even last night as Rachel and I, uh, we were driving back from Syracuse, and we saw Venus, which I guess at this point we were looking it up Googling it on the road, she was doing it from the passenger seat, not me, and saw that Venus is as bright as it's going to be in like this eight-year cycle for like the next month. It was, I mean, you could set a course by seeing where that planet was. And we were always so impressed from the second trip that we had out here of how incredible the night sky can be. But even in the most awesome night sky, there is still far more darkness than there is light. And in this world, it doesn't take a whole lot of looking around to look and think, you know what, there is so much more darkness than light. You watch the news, and you got to get through 29 minutes of darkness before you get the one little token 30-second story of light. Enough to dishearten even the most hopeful people. I promise you, though, the hope is coming. Because I want you to hear this truth that John gives. What has come into being, in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not. I'm guessing John paused as he wrote this. Ninety-some years old, on that exile in the island of Patmos, he had seen the world at its darkest. He was the one left of the twelve standing there, ten feet away from a bloodied Jesus for six hours, watching his best friend die. He was commissioned from that very cross to take care of Jesus' mother, Mary. Probably heard from a mother's perspective what that scene looked like a thousand times. What was it like to hear that you were going to give birth to the Son of God, the Savior of the world? What was it like to hear from the prophet that your heart was going to break over what would happen to him and to see that happen? What John knew all the darkness this world could throw. And yet, he finally came up with the word. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Since the day God spoke light into existence, darkness has been trying to box it in. Snuff it out. Run it aground. And probably will still continue until the day Jesus comes back. But always to no avail. The darkness never overcame the light. Never does overcome the light. And when that day finally comes, that John writes about the new Jerusalem, when Jesus starts to come back, he says, and the city, the new Jerusalem, had no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, for there is no night there. So what do we do with this? 
Three words, be the moon. Now, why would I totally switch gears and put that as the analogy for our next steps for this week? Be the moon. Because the moon, Venus, as bright as it is right now, does not cast its own light. It reflects light. The light of the world is not gaining luminance so that it can overcome the darkness. It already has it. Jesus has already got all the luminance he needs to overcome darkness. We can reflect that back to the world. Give the world just a taste of that hope. There's a hundred different ways we can do this. Even if it's as simple as what we were talking about with the kids, of smiling at somebody when you know they're having a rough day. That gives just even a candle's light of hope. Trust me, I've been in some of those dark days. It's powerful what that can do. Holding a door open. Helping somebody out. hundred different ways we can do that. So let's give the world a glimpse of what it'll be like when the darkness gets snuffed out. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week in the Woodlane Worship Podcast.